It is my distinct pleasure to introduce to the congregation and any from the community who are visiting with us here today, Dr. Luke Powery, who is our Mullen Forum speaker this year. The Mullen Forum, as I indicated earlier, was established to bring outstanding teachers and preachers to this community and to this church once a year. And if you look at the history of those who have been a guest among us, uh, you recognize leaders in the whole world of Christendom who have uh, graced our church in this pulpit. And uh, that tradition continues with uh, the presence of Dr. Powery with us this morning. I'm sure you've read about him, but I just summarize a few things about him. Uh, he was born in the Bronx, but did most of his growing up in Miami. He is the youngest of five siblings and the son of uh, a minister. So he knows all about uh, parish life and church life. and. Uh, and called to be a pastor himself, um, he has a distinguished academic background. Uh, he has degrees from uh, Princeton Theological Seminary and uh, is from the Emanuel uh, School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Uh, he's studied and taught and ministered around the world in different places. Um, he is very ecumenical in his outlook um, he is uh, married and the father of two children, Mariah, his daughter, and Zachary, his son, Gail being his wife. Uh, he is the dean of the Duke University Chapel and also an assistant press, uh, professor of homiletics out of preaching uh, at Duke Divinity School where he continues to serve and has been since the year 2012. Uh, beyond that, beyond the giftedness he has in his preaching and his theological insights, uh, I have discovered in just a short time with him, he's a great guy. He's the kind of guy you would like to know better and call uh, a friend. And I'm sure many of us can do that after his weekend experience with us. So, Dr. Powery, thanks for accepting our invitation and being with us for these two days. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Good morning. Thank you for your warm hospitality towards this blue devil. <laughs> Let's put that out there already. <laughs> but it's, I'm blessed to be here, especially looking at the long line of, of names of really the great cloud of witnesses that have been a part of this Mullen Forum since 1991 when I thought, I think I might have been two years old then, but uh, I'm teasing. Um, but just a, a wonderful witness of the gospel of all of those names that have meant so much to so many all over the world. So I'm honored to be here with you to share um, with you this morning. Thanks to the Mullum, the committee that hosted me last night and the pastoral staff for your warm hospitality. This morning's Old Testament lesson is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5. Hear God's word for us this morning. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. 
He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the today. Teach us, we pray. Help us to follow your ways. And all of God's people said, Amen. Great expectations. There's a story about a middle-aged woman who had a heart attack was taken to the hospital. And while on the, the operating table, she had a near-death experience. During that experience, she saw God. And she asked God if this was it. And God said no and explained that she had another 30 to 40 years to live. Upon her recovery, she decided to just stay in the hospital and 
have a facelift, liposuction, breast augmentation, and a tummy tuck. She even had someone change her hair color. She figured that since she had another 30 or 40 years, she might as well make the most of it. But when she walked out of that hospital after her last operation, she was hit and killed by an ambulance speeding up to the hospital. She arrived in front of God again and asked, I thought you said I had another 30 to 40 years. And God replied, sorry, I didn't recognize you. What we expect is not always what we get. You don't have to live long to figure this out. I don't even recognize the prophet Isaiah this morning. This Old Testament preacher, prophet Isaiah, surprised me. I was expecting him to preach in his usual way. I expected his sermon to be the same old story with the, the same old tune because, you know, some preachers only have one good sermon. <laughs> I was expecting him to rant and rave and rain down doom and gloom on us, which might work for those ministers who only specialize in abusing people in the pew. I mean, Isaiah would be a great preacher in that kind of congregation because there's so much trouble in his sermons without any signs of grace. A lot of bad news and a little good news. Do you know any preachers like that? I mean, I expected him to preach what he preaches many Sundays after the choir anthem. Have you ever heard Isaiah preach? Like when he said, ah, sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, offspring who do evil, children who deal corruptly, who have forsaken the Lord, who have despised the Holy One of Israel, who are utterly estranged. Why do you seek further beatings? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. How the faithful city has become a whore. The Lord will afflict with scabs the heads of the daughters of Zion. How do you like that sermon? How would you like to be a member at the trouble on every side temple of Isaiah? I mean, no wonder his church membership is declining. But oh, if he would melodiously preach like he does this morning, his members might return. Today, Isaiah surprised me. Something got a hold of him when I was expecting this prophet Isaiah to preach the terrors, damning us right to hell, Jonathan Edwards style. He didn't do it. Instead, he sang a warm sermonic love song about his beloved God, Willie Nelson style. You are always on my mind. I never expected Isaiah to sing a sermon like that. I mean, we know singing preachers, but Isaiah, he surprised me. But what we expect is not always what we get. Isaiah's sermon tune is different today because he's in love. And love will make you do things you don't normally do. Can I get a witness? <laughs> love will make you go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. 
Love will make your toes get tingly and your knees wobbly and your skin sweaty and your eyes blurry and you can't see straight. And now I know love can even make you preach better. Preach, Isaiah. I mean, we say love is blind, but Isaiah sees his beloved and situation crisp and clear. Prophet Isaiah can't help but croon a beautiful ballad for his God, his beloved. He's in love. But this song is not just about God, but God's vineyard. And these words are potent with lovely poetry and a hopeful expectation of the harvest due to the care God gives the vineyard. And when God does something, God does it right. Did you catch it from the reading? God's vineyard is in a fertile place on a hill. The soil is ripe for producing juicy grapes. The setting is perfect, and if that isn't enough, the Lord's preparation is executed according to the rules of agriculture. God digs the soil, and he clears it of stones. Then God plants choice vines, the best of the best, the creme de la creme. God invests blood, sweat, tears into this vineyard, but most of all, God invests divine love. Homeland security should talk to God too because the beloved God even builds a watchtower in the middle of the vineyard in order to protect it from intruders and predators, in order that nothing might destroy his natural work of art. Love will make you want to protect your loved ones. And if that isn't enough, God creates a wine vat to prepare for the sweet wine that is expected to come so that it can be shared with others, so that it can be shared with you and, and with me. God does everything perfectly. God does everything by the book. God does all that God can, and Isaiah keeps singing his heart out at this point in ecstasy as his voice and soul are filled with love for God and great expectations. His voice crescendos to the anticipated climax in volume and energy as we, the listeners, await the inevitable, the yielding of grapes. For even the beloved God expected the vineyard to yield grapes based on God's financial investment and physical and emotional efforts. God expects the best from the vineyard. Who wouldn't after all of that? We expect the best from our children as we raise them and pour our lives into them. We expect the best from our spouses as we do the, the best we can and love them until death do us part. We expect the best from our friends in whom we've confided our secrets. We expect the best from our boyfriend or girlfriend after all that money we've spent on each other. We expect the best from our schools and professors after dutifully paying tuition. We expect the best from our employers after working extra time for no extra pay. We expect the best from our doctor's health advice. We expect the best from our pastors and religious leaders and politicians. We expect the best from our financial advisors. But if you live long enough, you'll find out that you can expect the best all you want and still get the worst. 
Because what we expect is not always what we get. Isaiah discovers this truth as he sings his sermon for God. Because his ballad soon experiences a mood swing. As we expect this lost in love singing preacher to reach the climax in volume and energy to the yielding of grapes, we unexpectedly experience a key change from major to minor, from hopefulness to hopelessness, from delight to despair, from sweet expectations to bitter disappointment. One might think that this song is no longer about love, but it is. Because as philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff reminds us, lament is a love song. Lamenting what could have been or should have been. Lamenting lost hopes and dreams. Isaiah is singing the blues. At this juncture, this song of lament is about love gone wrong. Something we know all too well about as we hear the statistics of domestic violence and sexual harassment, love gone wrong. We don't need to watch all my children and general hospital or as the world turns anymore. We know how the world turns. We're living in the chaos right now. And it's turning us upside down, inside out. Our lives are soap operas. And so we can testify like poet Langston Hughes, life for me ain't been no crystal stare. We even have our very own soap opera right here in Scripture. Read the news flash about God and God's achy, breaky heart. God expected the vineyard to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. Love gone wrong, unrequited love, unmet expectations. The sorrowful divine beloved God even questions, when I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? All of the intensive labor of love for the harvest was lost. All of that effort for nothing, all of that money for nothing, all of that time for nothing, all of that sacrifice for nothing, all of those late nights for nothing, all of those prayers for nothing, all of those tears for nothing, unmet expectations. The wealthiest country in the world, the United States of America, a nation that can spend trillions of dollars on war, cannot find enough money to aid dilapidated schools in urban and rural areas and provide adequate educational resources for children? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? I mean, the church used to be a, a place of refuge from violence. These days, as we see, rage can happen right on the doorsteps of the church or inside of it. Several years ago, outside of a very large Baptist church in the D.C. area, a man fatally shot his estranged wife in the church parking lot while their daughter worshipped inside the sanctuary. And look at what happened at Mother Emmanuel AME in Charleston, South Carolina a few summers ago. When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? 
I mean, it seems as if violence is winning the victory, children killing children. I even think about Parkland High School in South Florida where I grew up when I expected it to yield grapes. Why did it yield wild grapes? Hurricane Harvey in 2017 created a modern-day hell for so many. Officer Steve Perez left his home to help those in need during the storm. His wife begged him not to go out into the storm, but the dedicated, determined, daring Perez told her, we've got work to do. And on his way to work on that Sunday, he drowned. When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? I mean, I still remember Sister Jean. She had a big smile on her face so often and a bounce in her step most Sundays. We sang in the church choir together when I was growing up, when I was a teenager. I can still hear her greeting me. Hi, Brother Luke. She had a way of saying, Brother Luke. After several years passed, I visited my home, seeing my parents in Miami, expecting to hear the good news about these sweet elder sisters from my youth. Instead, I found out that the bounce in Sister Jean's step had been stolen, stolen from a sickness that was decaying her body. And, and, and oh, she still went to church. She even had special seating right in the front of the church, a couch was placed in the front of the church for her. They put it there so that she could still sing and hear the songs of Zion. They put a couch in the front of the church so she could rest when she needed. Her heart still sang even though it was broken. Broken because the disease she had was AIDS contracted from her very own husband who had been fooling around, a God-fearing, church-going woman with AIDS. When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Unmet expectations in the world, in this country, in the broader society, in your community, in your church, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your families, at your jobs, at your schools, in your Christian journey. Things aren't the way you thought they would be or should be. One day you're healthy and the next day you find out you have cancer. One day you're planning your family vacation and the next day your spouse says she's leaving you for someone else. One day you're up and the next day you're down. One day you're to the left and the next day the only option you have is to go right. In other words, when I expected apples, how did I end up with oranges? When I expected and I ordered a hot cordon bleu, why did I end up with frozen chicken nuggets? Life can get wild and get out of control sometimes with all of the twists and turns, ups and downs, receiving something you never ordered in life. And so there you are lying on your bed at night when no one is looking, 
crying yourself to sleep in a pool of tears when I expected it to yield grapes. Why did it yield wild grapes? The circumstances of life teach us to expect the unexpected, the wild grapes. But when life yields wild grapes, it's not easy to digest. I know that God even asks, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? I've done all that I can. Almighty God is at God's wit's end, and what happens next could happen to any one of us. Unmet expectations can lead to destruction. God decides to destroy the fruitless vineyard, which is Israel, and allows them to go into exile. At times, we may even ask, what more could I have done? What did I do wrong? Which can lead to self-blame and pity, causing us to become disillusioned with God in life. We too then may go into a type of exile, isolation, disconnection from others and God, feeling hopeless. The worst case scenario would be that we destroy ourselves, spiritual suicide or others, spiritual homicide. How can I sing the Lord's song in this strange land of the unexpected? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the vine, even experienced a wooden exile. How can I trust you when all that my life bears is wild grapes? How can I trust you, God? Well, the answer to that question is also in the mouth of the singing prophet preacher Isaiah, but in his later sermons. This lamenting love song in chapter 5 is not the whole story of love. Let's be real. No one sermon can tell it all. Let's be real. Love has its ups and love has its downs. Even the cross of Christ alone is not the entire gospel story. There are times when you can't just preach the text, the pericope, but because we're, also, we're called to preach the gospel. It's, and, and I no longer operate under the hegemony of biblical studies where everything is about the text because I've come to realize that as a preacher, we're called to proclaim the gospel and not just the text. And so I don't have time to break that down this morning, but let me just say that the biblical text is a window to the gospel. And you've got to tell the whole story. You've got to know the whole story. You can't just preach a little portion of Scripture and assume that that will provide good news and hope. You can't just read chapter 5 and not know what happens in chapter 40. You can't just show a three-minute YouTube clip and think that that's the sum of a person or sermon. You can't just analyze the beginning and neglect the ending. Because the ending, in fact, is my starting point as a preacher. The end is the beginning for us. The end is our sermonic compass. And in the end of this story, Israel's expectations are not met because their expectations are too low. And in the end of the story, we realize that what we expect is not always what we get. We, we might have thought that this was just another story of love gone wrong. We might have thought that God was like everyone else. But the Holy One is not just anyone. 
Isaiah's sermonic corpus has other songs you should know about before this sermon is over. This singing preacher not only sings himself, but preaches of a day when Israel herself will sing of the goodness of the Lord. They will have a song in the night in chapter 30, and eventually they will sing a new song in chapter 42. The old thing becomes a new thing. The weariness of the wilderness becomes a wilderness full of water. A rancid desert becomes a desert with rivers. A pouting party becomes a party of praise. Israel will have a reason to sing, and you will have a reason to sing. The minor melody of the song of the vineyard is not the end of this love story. For though Israel experiences exile, their tune eventually modulates back to a major key because God delivers them and brings them to their own land in chapter 14. Isaiah sings about their future of thanksgiving and comfort and salvation and trust and joy in chapter 12. The sorrowful song of the vineyard is only one part of this sacred oratorio because in the end, God is faithful to God's people. It's simple, but it's so true. The end of the story should actually be our beginning as people of faith. The end should be our starting point as we view life, God's faithfulness, God's covenantal love that never lets us go. That should be our life's presupposition, our life's hermeneutic, the lens through which we read the world and view the world. God is faithful. Now, if you don't believe me, just ask the children of Israel who expected to be in slavery their whole life, but God raised up Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. If you don't believe me, just ask Abraham who expected to sacrifice his only son on an altar, but God sent a CNN news flash through an angel to tell him, don't lay your hand on the boy because God has a ram in the bush. If you don't believe me, just ask Job who had everything and lost everything and expected to finally lose his life, but God restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. If you don't believe me, just ask the psalmist who expected to be destroyed by flying arrows in the day and pestilence at night, but God gave him refuge and shelter in the shadow of divine wings. If you don't believe me, just ask Isaiah, who knew that the youth expected to faint and fall exhausted, but God sent a word saying, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you don't believe me this morning, just ask Mary, a, a young virgin girl who expected to live just an ordinary life on the fringes of society as an outcast woman, but God chose her womb to enter the world as the savior of humanity. If you don't believe me, just ask the crazy garrison demoniac who expected to stay out of his mind, but Jesus touched him, clothed him in his right mind, and guess what? Made him a preacher. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just ask Jesus 
who went from divinity to humanity, who went from theos to anthropos, who Jesus who was high and stooped low, Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and descended into hell. Just ask Jesus, who many expect never to see again. But the Apostles' Creed declares on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Maybe not in the beginning and maybe not even right now, but in the end, you will know that God is faithful to God's people. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God will not meet our expectations. God will magnify them. God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or even imagine. For when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You're precious in my sight, and I love you. What a love song. We might have expected God to be like everyone. But the Holy One is not just anyone. God is faithful. Unmet expectations, wild grapes are a fact of life. But they do not tell the end of the story. God does. We may not always get what we expect. But we can always expect God to be faithful. Or as a friend of mine once told me, a setback is just a setup for a comeback.